Welcome to Spooky Psychology with Megan and Lauren. Welcome back, spooky peeps. Finally, for part two of the insanity plea, as is tradition, we went away for a little bit, but we are back again. And as for tradition, we didn't like explain what happened. Um, So fun fact, you may, those of you who listen closely, have remember from our last episode where we were talking about testifying and I was like, oh, I've never had to do a trial. And I'm like, I think it's been long enough. I'm not going to have to. Literally the day after this episode was released, I got subpoenaed for a trial. So I had to spend a ton of time prepping and doing all of that. And then it got postponed at the last minute. So that took up a lot of time. Trials get postponed all the time. If you work in the legal system, you'll know that like, this is the second time this particular trial has been postponed. So we'll see. I don't know. Allegedly, it's it's going to go at some point. I don't know, though. Yeah. Yeah. So. I feel like we accidentally, like, summoned that into your life, and I apologize. Yeah. Of all the things that I would like to summon into my life, that is not actually one of them. I personally feel like I have had a rich life experience that doesn't necessarily need to testify in a trial. I don't feel like that's something I need to do. Right. But I probably will, and that's also fine. So. Right. So, all is good. All is well. I think... In the midst of that, there was a lot of, like, sickness. You guys know, like, it's flu season. And also, like, I got the vid. I finally got hit with COVID. So that Mm -hmm. was terrible. But now I think we're both relatively healthy, or at least on the upswing. strongly maybe maybe on my end i i'm strongly maybe we also had parents i'm sure will relate to this because our sweet precious babies their immune systems are learning for the first time so we had a cold and then we went right into teething except no teeth yet we're like aggressive teething symptoms zero teeth is we're still stuck there then a stomach bug now we're back at aggressive teething symptoms, no teeth. So I'm like, I don't know what's happening, but huge shout out to uh, Baby Tylenol and Motrin for getting us through this Sponsor trying time. Us. <laughs> <laughs> Not that you need it, but like you know, Sponsor we'll take us, we'll take it. Baby Motrin. Um, no, Motrin. but for real, that is real. And I feel like in when Benny was going through that, it was one of those things where before it like busted through that was like the worst part where he was just you could tell mm-hmm. he was really struggling but yeah it's so funny like thinking about like stomach viruses and babies because i remember before betty ever had one i was like well how will i be able to tell if like he threw up or if he just like spit up and it's like oh there's a huge difference between a baby mm-hmm vomiting and just like spitting up it it is a lot it is a whole lot it is and i think also too like eddie has reached a point where like he's so he's 10 months old as of yesterday so like he kind of already stopped spitting up like a month ago like he pretty much like stopped spitting up and then it's just all of a sudden we're like he's just covered and like we didn't even necessarily see him doing it he's just like playing with a toy and then he turns around and the front of his outfit is just like covered in like food and it's like okay and that was happening like five or six times and then you're like ah you're just sick right now like it is it's all these things that you're just like how will i know and it's like oh you'll you'll know you'll know also because they can't communicate very well uh so like there's just lots of screaming when they're sick and then there's you know we were joking that there's like five main categories of not sleeping well that babies can possibly have and we have hit all of them in the last week it's like whiplash it's just like it's been bad but in different ways each night so you're just like i don't even know what's happening it's been you know so so you know so luckily i didn't get too sick but you know babies like to share their germs and uh yeah, and when you're sleep deprived, obviously your immune system is not working effectively. Or... Not the best, so I'm not confident that I am past the sickness. But you know, I think I'm just going to be sick all the time for the next couple of years, and we're just going to deal with that. We're just going to roll with that's it. That's what's happening. Yeah, it's going to be great. But yeah, that that's the big mystery why we disappeared, you guys. So we're human, living human lives, and that's what happened. But we're back, and we're ready to do part two, and we're excited to 
chat with you guys about this. As always, if you have other things that you want us to go over for future episodes, just let us know. But before we get into part two, I just want to take a moment and thank our Patreon members. So obviously some of these are screen names, not actual people's names, which is fine. (laughs) So the first uh, Patreon member is Green Tea. Thank you. Court and Matt, Bob the Drag oh Queen, Monet Exchange, and Jacob. Hello, hello. Mm-hmm. Thank you, thank you. The next one is Bucket. <laughs> I love Great. some people's screen names. They crack me up. You know what? I hope some of these are real names. My this name is, is just, Bucket. It's great. That works. Yeah, it's a good name. I love it. Hector, Bobby, Vicky, and Jules. Thank you guys so much for continuing to support us. It means a lot to us. You definitely fund our coffee and we thank you. If you are interested in becoming a patron of ours, you can join. I'll add a link in the show notes. Right now, we're just doing a lot of like chit-chatting with Patreon members. We are uploading a video each episode so you guys can see us in real time. I think some Patreon members will like put it on their tv and like watch it like a show which is kind of fun adorable yeah so yeah you know you can see lauren has an excellent shirt on today i do uh, pretty fantastic that's the exciting content you get very exclusive (laughs) but yeah for people not listening i am wearing what is essentially like a hawaiian dad shirt but it's with psyduck Pokemon because mm-hmm. I've identified and I think a lot of chronically ill people might identify with Psyduck because he has like these migraines but also like oh, it's it's really cute. Have you seen uh, Pokemon Concierge on Netflix? No, I have not. It's adorable. But I've identified Psyduck is actually my Pokemon. I thought my Pokemon was Chansey. Because she's like the helper nurse Pokemon with like the egg tummy. And I was like, that's my vibe. Like, that's who I identify with. But it has since changed. It has changed. That's her. I don't think you can actually uh, see my shirt because of my camera angle. But just just for, you know, the viewer's knowledge, my shirt has a picture of Dolly Parton on it. And it says, what would Dolly do? What would she do? That's that's. We're rocking. Yeah, I maybe listen to our podcast. Shout out to Dolly Parton, friend of the podcast. Probably not, but wouldn't that be fun? She's like, actually, we're going to pretend. She's actually Bucket. Bucket is actually Dolly Parton. Wow, wouldn't that? That would be something else. But if you want to reveal yourself, Dolly, at any time, it's fine. Please do. Please do. We'd love to hear from you. So, another exciting thing. So, Megan, what would you say is the most annoying part of being a therapist? Beautiful segue. Absolutely love it. We all know it's notes, right? I feel like no matter what your job is, the paperwork is the most annoying part, right? Like every job, it's just like you do your job and you're like, great, I did it. And then it's like, now I have to do all the paperwork. So notes, obviously, everybody knows that. Everyone knows that. Every clinician knows that, right? We are so grateful and want to thank the sponsor of this episode, Metallic. Mm -hmm. So we know a lot of our listeners are clinicians too. You guys write in all the time and talk about your experiences Mm -hmm. or starting in the field. Future clinicians. Future clinicians. Shout out to you as well. Yes. So we love you all. We appreciate you all listening and we wanted to offer you guys something and we're really excited that this is one of our sponsors so if you haven't heard of metallic what it is is it's a platform that uses ai and dictation-based technology to essentially do your progress notes for you so what they could look like is first of course getting consent from your clients to record. Obviously, your clients have to agree <laughs> to this. Make sure consent is key. Mm-hmm. And then what you do is you record the audio from your therapy session, you upload it to Mentalic, and then you select what format you want it in. So soap note, DAP note, you can create your own template. It's really cool. And bam, done. Or you could also record yourself giving key info from the session, and it will build a progress note for you based on that. So no more typing, no more spending hours doing progress notes. I know we get so backed up on those. 
Um, but yeah, it's really cool. I've been able to give it a try. I can say it's really awesome. They are 100% HIPAA compliant as well. And I really feel like they're changing the game when it comes to therapist burnout. So if you would like to take advantage of this discount, you will get 10% off your first month. All you have to do is use code SPOOKY10, that's S-P-O-O-K-Y 10, and that will give you that 10% off discount. Make sure that you let them know that we sent you. And if you would mm-hmm. like to take a look at their website, that is spelled M-E-N-T-A-L-Y-C.com, Mentalic. Thank you again to our sponsors and be sure to check them out. And now let's go on with the show. Yes. So where we left off, we had talked a lot about general issues with the not guilty by reason of mental disease or defects. But I think there's a few key things in the case where there were multiple different diagnoses that have been suggested by different experts through psychological testing and interviews that Sidney Powell could allegedly have. But really... With this case, the key was the argument between the defense and the prosecution. So the defense experts were basically saying, and Lauren, please correct me if I'm getting any of this wrong, because it's been a little a hot minute here, basically saying that Sydney was showing evidence of being in a psychotic episode in the weeks and months preceding the murder, right? And then the prosecutions was basically saying that The facts that during this time, she was essentially continuing with a lie and with this whole thing, like staying at hotels, not leaving the day and not going, like lying to friends and family. There was a whole thing about her looking up like things on her phone, like doing normal phone searches for like hair tapes or like whatever, just like regular stuff that the prosecution was making the argument that she could not have been in a psychotic episode while simultaneously continuing this lie for weeks on end and doing this. So it's really interesting. And so I know we're going to talk a little bit more about like what a psychotic episode actually can look like. And I'm going to go over the criteria for the myriad of diagnoses that have been suggested for her, because I think it's just more information for you guys about why, you know, I think on TV, they're just like, not guilty by mental disease and defect. And some cases, it's very clear cut. Like I said, a lot of these cases, they're like, defense and prosecution are like yes agreed immediately <laughs> like, like no need to take this to trial yeah like yes 100 percent. but in cases like this why it's so hard and why like different diagnoses are all pretty plausible absolutely absolutely so i guess why don't we go into the diagnoses first and then i'll <laughs> get into you know, just on average, what a psychotic episode might look like, and mm-hmm. just some current ways of thinking about psychotic episodes that you mm-hmm. guys might not be aware of, because I feel like there yeah. is a lot of stigma with psychotic mm-hmm. episodes, and you guys know we like to debunk that, so. Hey, we're gonna once again give the caveat that most people with psychosis are never going to harm anyone, but... It's always possible for a person with psychosis to harm someone because it's always possible for any person with any diagnosis to harm people. You know, it's not an exclusive thing. Like, it's not like you have to be mentally ill to harm someone. Most people are not. But, like, again, in any population, you're going to find a few people who just, like, would murder someone under the right set of circumstances. That's just reality. So, basically, few different things that... She had been di- she had been diagnosed. So basically, I'm just going to give you the titles. And I'm going to go into the criteria a bit. So the first one, obviously, being schizophrenia. I think that's the one that the media latched the most on to. But it was also discussed that she could have schizoaffective disorder, which I know we've talked about a little yeah. bit. In addition, major depressive disorder with psychotic features, which is ever so slightly different than schizoaffective disorder. Um, And then another one, I believe the prosecution's expert, they also talked about generalized anxiety disorder and borderline personality disorder, that combination as options. Because I think, again, 
there is the question of, did she experience psychosis? Did she not experience psychosis? And if she did experience psychosis, exactly at what point in time did she experience enough psychosis that she's not responsible for her actions? Right. So it's a little complicated. And also this is, I will just give the copy out. You're going to under, as we read through these diagnostic criteria, you're going to notice a lot of similarities, a lot of overlaps. And this is why I, as a therapist, just like to give the caveat, like, self-diagnosis for really complicated disorders. It can be super great to figure out, like, what category of symptoms that you have. But a lot of times, there's very, very subtle differences that can really only be determined through, like, psychological testing and a lot. So it's always a little bit more complicated. So things like psychosis, obviously, if you're experiencing psychosis, we're going to strongly encourage you to see a psychological and medical professional as quickly as possible because in addition to the psychological causes if you're suddenly experiencing psychosis that can be a medical issue and we always have to rule out medical issues before we assume it's psychological but all of these things there's some pretty subtle differences that you may not know it's kind of hard to be like that observant of your own behavior at times that you could really pinpoint the difference but these differences can be really helpful for like medications treatment options which ones is more effective so really great to know what category it is but if you feel like you have one diagnosis in a category and you see a therapist and they suggest a different diagnosis within the same category that's not uncommon like there's lots of anxiety disorders sometimes you fit one a little bit better than the other but like you still have anxiety just like you still have a psychotic disorder even if it's a different one than you originally think okay we're gonna start with schizophrenia i know lauren has worked more closely with people in this population than i have so she may have some extra good examples of some of this some of these symptoms so feel free to jump in okay so we're starting off with schizophrenia okay characteristic symptoms two or more of the following each present for a significant portion of time during a one month period or less if successfully treated so delusions hallucinations disorganized speech grossly disorganized or catatonic behavior and negative symptoms, which are things like diminished emotional expression. So basically kind of gone into it. So delusions are more about like beliefs, like they're pretty significant overarching incorrect beliefs. So different things that could be a delusion would be things like paranoia could reach the portion of a delusion that like people are out to get you, that people are against you, that your family is judging you. It could be a variety of things. Interestingly, if we're looking at a completely different diagnosis, but if you've ever heard of erotomania, which is the kind of like the belief that somebody is really romantically interested in you that could be a delusion right where you are believing that this person like a celebrity who smiles to a camera is communicating with you that they're in love with you that is a real thing that can happen to people and right that would be a delusion because it's not true but it's not that you're seeing or hearing things differently it's more of an overarching belief or the way you're interpreting information whereas hallucinations are actually experiencing something that is not happening. So the most common hallucinations are, I believe, auditory or olfactory. I cannot yes. remember which one is the most common. I think, uh, I think it's, it's olfactory. Really, yeah, I think what it is is weirdly it's olfactory. So that means yeah. smells. Smells, uh, which is also very interesting because I think olfactory hallucinations are the hardest to identify that they're hallucinations yeah. because you would never think... You know, if you, like, they can be pleasant, right? Like, maybe you're smelling cookies baking all the time. That would, you know, be, like, lovely. That probably wouldn't even be that distressing, right? If you're smelling pleasant things, like oranges or that, then... You honestly may have no idea that you're hallucinating. Or like you're just a like, oh, weird I smell something. thing that's like kind of common. Like, oh, smell like plastic or something. You know, where it's just like that happens sometimes, you know. Right. And if, if you think about it, like if you were smelling something like vanilla or citrus, like you'd probably just assume that like somebody near you is yeah. wearing a perfume that smells like that or maybe and you're like oh i must have changed like my laundry detergent and my clothes smell like that like there's so many plausible explanations and of course olfactory you could also be smelling things like rotting garbage you could be smelling really repulsive disgusting smells as well it kind of just depends but again i think we tend to think of hallucinations as like 
you know, command hallucinations, which I know we talked about this in our schizophrenia episode, right? But command hallucinations are exceedingly, exceedingly rare. Right. Most of the time, not what's happening. A command hallucination would be hearing a voice telling you to do something or like physically seeing a person. I feel like that's the media trope of schizophrenia, right? You're just like seeing people that don't exist. Exceedingly rare. That's not what most people I think even people with visual hallucinations it tends to be a lot more like lights a lot more of just like different things like certain that, like words shadowy sticking people. out to you when mm-hmm. you're reading something like yeah yeah like spiders I think is a big one to, like mm-hmm. bugs and stuff like that can be another big one but I think everybody assumes it's like a whole person that's talking to you and communicating with you and I'm like that one is a bit more bit more rare exactly. um, yeah so disorganized speech is derailment or incoherent so disorganized speech it basically just be like what you're saying doesn't actually make sense at all and it could be in a variety of different ways but that's kind of the basic of like somebody who's experiencing the disorganized speech might be like saying words that are all actual words but in an order that is like completely meaningless like there is nothing there but they probably think they're making sense but they're not yeah i think like one of the terms that it's called is like word salad or something but Mm -hmm. i used to work with somebody where they would do this not when they were speaking with us like directly but they would do this in writing so Mm -hmm. They had this grandiose belief that they were, like, curing, like, all of these diseases and stuff. And so they'd be like, hey, this is my manuscript and my dissertation. Like, please have a look at it. So, you know, you're reading it. And it's actual words, right? So it's saying, I'm trying to think of an example. It'd be like, in this hypothesis, it's probable and possible that... The controls and variables are present. It, you know, just like where it's like, okay, those are words but that like doesn't words. mean anything. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like they're words that like might even make sense in the context. But yeah. The order, like there just isn't meaning to it. Yeah. Yeah. And then even like frequent derailment, like starting off a sentence and it just goes somewhere and it's, it's like it's not actually coherent or it might start very coherent and like you know where it's starting, but then it just derails entirely and you're not really sure. Like grossly disorganized or catatonic behavior so catatonic is just like doing nothing like kind of laying in the bed staring into space absolutely no response not doing anything grossly disorganized i think would just be like not able to complete tasks like not able to do things and i think this is kind of one of the tricky things with her case as well is like she would not have had that clearly if she was able to be continuing all of this and i think that's one thing they're going after obviously you don't need that to have schizophrenia but i think that's a big one that they land on and again also just like the organized speech of like could you continue that orchestrate that significant of a lie over time when you are delusional hallucinations all that you know i'm not going to give a definitive answer to that but she was found guilty, so like at so. Least the jury agreed that she could not, regardless of the reality. I'm not sure. And then the negative symptoms, which are things that people typically have that you don't have, would be like the diminished emotional expression. So sometimes people in psychosis will just have no emotional response to anything whatsoever, just flat affect 100% of the time. Like something horrific could happen in front of them. They have no reaction. They could get tickets to the Super Bowl. No reaction. Just like nothing is actually. Yeah. Or the the reaction almost comes off like sarcastic. Mm -hmm. Where it's just like, oh, like, like, is this like a part of their humor? But like, it's, it's truly what they're experiencing. Right. Like, even if they like are theoretically excited about it, like their affect does not change at all. So they might just be like, oh, thank you. I'm very excited to go to the Super Bowl. Right. And they're like, they might actually be, but like, there's just no reaction really. So in addition, here's where the diagnosis gets tricky, right? Only this, that was criteria A. Only one of those is required if delusions are bizarre or hallucinations consist of a voice keeping up a running commentary of the person's behavior or thoughts or two or more voices conversing with each other. Which again, this is like the really tricky thing with diagnostic criteria. Is that so specific? I also do not 
like that if delusions are bizarre right, because like, I feel like that's that? a judgment yeah. call because I know oh, even like I'm trying to think of some of the other delusions like because when I worked on the crisis line we would have people who called in who were clearly having delusions which like you can tell but you can't really convince someone over the phone so you're just doing your best here but even things just like you know I'm hearing people talking therefore my neighbors are spying on me because they are CIA operatives and they're after me. So that would be a delusion, right? Theoretically possible, I guess, these people, like, you know. Right, or like, big concern over, like, medical stuff and being like, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm having this and this symptom and, you know, it's clear that I have, you know, liver cancer or something. And it's like, that's difficult, right? Because, like, we're not doctors. We can't do like the proper assessments. And if you really feel like no. you're having symptoms that are scary, like you don't want to invalidate somebody. So it's like it's hard to right. It it really is like a case by case basis, right? And these are the reasons why like more professionals need to be involved. Is even think about this like with the example of like my neighbors are CIA operatives, right? Some people are actually being watched by the government. Some people's neighbors are actually CIA operatives looking to get them. It's rare. I would say most of the time that is not the case. Right. But it's certainly possible. Just like maybe you do actually, like people do get liver cancer. Like sometimes your intuition is spot on and you sound delusional, but you're actually not. I know there was a case I believe we discussed before of a woman who ended up hospitalized and was saying that the Russian government, like, was out, the Russian mob was out to get her. And after lots of treatment, she was released after six weeks and was immediately abducted by the Russian mob because they were, in fact, out to get her. Like, yeah, that was a very real thing. She lived. I'd like to say she did live. But everybody thought that she was delusional and she was hospitalized, but, like, was actually just an accurate assessment of the situation i mean i'll give like an example like i know of a case where it was i can't remember the name of it but you had said it before where it was the delusion that like someone's in love with you or trying to like romance you erotomania erotomania so Uh this person believed that their like pastor or like a figure like at their church was in love with them and wanted to like leave their wife to be with this person and like all of this stuff but (laughs) because like sometimes like that does happen i think the actual wife was like really concerned about it because this person had a lot of like conviction and like no (laughs) like he's leaving me all these signs and da 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 so it's, it's really really interesting when you get into like the details of it Yeah, there is one case, I'm absolutely not going to dox this person, but they are heavily discussed in a subreddit with information that they post online that firmly believes that a inappropriately younger than them person is in love with them based on glances and it's communicating with them through the television. And, like, that there are certain, like, things where they would, you know, again, not diagnosing the specific person, just saying as it is reported would theoretically be consistent. But, like, saying that this person has, like, a keylogger and communicates with them online by blinking, turning their computer and their TV screens on and off. And then it's like, we're actually secretly engaged and all the where it's just like, it can happen, right? That's a delusion. It's not uncommon where it's just like, oh, this person smiled at me. They're in love with me. They're sending me all of these signals, their glances, yeah. all of those things that they're absolutely. And that can be a really scary one. <laughs> I will. Yeah, I will give you that information. Thank you. I'll, I'll send you some of the links to this. It's terrifying. Also, uh-huh. I will also point out that at the point in time that this case of erotomania started, the person was an adult. The uh, object of their affection was a minor, which is why this gets extra, extra icky. Okay, so moving back onto some schizophrenia criteria, there was the social occupational dysfunction that for a significant portion of the time since the onset of the disturbance, one or more major areas of functioning such as work, interpersonal relations, or self-care are markedly below the level achieved prior to the onset. So again, I think this is one in Sidney Powell's case where there would be a huge argument too if she was significantly affected. Uh, we have duration, six months of symptoms, and at least one month of criterion A symptoms um, that would be an active 
psychotic phase, but it could be less if like you immediately get treatment for it and the treatment works. So they say there may include periods of the prodromal or residual symptoms where signs of the disturbance may be manifested by only negative symptoms or some of the symptoms in the criterion A, but in a smaller form like odd beliefs and unusual perceptional experiences. So that would be like you still have the symptoms, but they're not necessarily all the way to delusion. There's like kind of just some of the beliefs that are like a little bit strange, but may or may not be psychosis in much cases. But given your active delusions and hallucinations would count as psychosis. I feel like an example of this is this is one that gets really tricky. But for religious people, you may believe that you have, you know, direct communication with your higher power in some way, which is absolutely a belief that can be a perfectly normal belief that does not actually suggest mental illness or can be a symptom of psychosis, really depending on the specifics of it and your behavior otherwise. I think some people will feel like their higher power is like guiding them or leading them or they get communication like through different like thoughts or urges or just like how things line up in their life versus like, no, I, I hear a voice out loud. Or even if you feel like you do hear a voice, that may be you, that may be something else. That right, because there is psychosis, that. It's really interesting to pinpoint yeah and there is that factor of like we all have kind of like our own internal voice and own internal mm -hmm. dialogue and i feel like that is the differentiator that a lot of times you have to ask is like okay you're hearing voice like is it your own voice because that is a normal experience mm -hmm. to have but like you were saying the other part of it too is like considering cultural norms and like mm -hmm. what is a part of like your culture or religious practice because that is different than a psychotic mm -hmm. episode it is and i think like religious psychosis is always an interesting one where it comes to the odd beliefs criteria and yeah. i'm just that's a very popular example of like thinking that you have direct communication with your higher power could be an odd belief, could be a regular belief, could be full-blown psychosis, really depends on the specifics. Yeah. So it's just something where, like, again, this can get pretty complicated. Now, the general other things, I'm not going to read out the rest of the criteria at this point, because it falls under a few categories that all, all things actually fall under all disorders in the DSM, which is that you have successfully ruled out other disorders. The symptoms are not better explained by substance use or by a general medical thing. Again, this is very much why if you are experiencing psychosis, you do need a full medical workup. You do need to ensure that there is not something else going on that would better explain it. There are a few other, there's schizophreniform disorder, and then there's delusional disorder, and there's brief psychotic disorder and shared psychotic disorder and substance abuse psychotic disorder, as well as psychotic disorder due to a general medical condition. And then there's psychotic disorder not otherwise specified, which I think she was also diagnosed with, but I'm just that just means it's not one of the other ones. Yeah. So I will talk about schizoaffective disorder briefly before jumping on to some of the other two, but I'm just listing those are the other ones. There's a lot in this category. So, schizoaffective disorder is an uninterrupted period of illness during which at some time there is either a major depressive episode, a manic episode, or a mixed episode concurrent with symptoms that meet criterion A for schizophrenia. During the same period of illness, there have been delusions or hallucinations for at least two weeks, and the symptoms that meet criteria for the mood disorder are present for a substantial portion of that. Okay, so that's the basic where you're meeting the criteria for schizophrenia, you also have depression. So she also, or depression, or bipolar, or mania, she also got diagnosed with that. Now, interestingly, another diagnosis is major depressive disorder with psychotic features, which is another variation of a mood disorder with psychosis. Uh, this is specifically unipolar depressions. This is not bipolar, this is just regular depression with that. And what I find really interesting is this would be diagnosed if you are predominantly depressed and you are experiencing psychosis, but you're not meeting the criteria for schizophrenia. So you are having some delusions, which are false beliefs or perceptions, some hallucinations or paranoia, 
but you're not meeting the full criteria. But again, this is one where even when you're looking at it, they're like, "There's this is often misdiagnosed. And it's like, right, because these are, I think a lot of times, quite frankly, if somebody is diagnosed with schizoaffective disorder versus major depressive disorder with psychotic features, it really just depends on if their psychotic features are strong enough to meet yeah. the criteria of schizophrenia, then it's schizoaffective. If it's anything less than that, it's major depression with psychotic features. Right. Where and like again, is the depression I, dominating or is the psychotic features dominating? Right. And I, it's also just again like this is why I think this case was so interesting because this is also just showing the difficulty with proving within a reasonable doubt what's going on in somebody's mental health because multiple experts were coming up with these slightly different diagnoses and they were all yeah. running psychological testing. They were all doing these clinical interviews. They were doing this and they came to different conclusions. This right. is also why some of you may have noticed that you go to multiple different therapists over your life, right? Completely normal. You work with someone for a while, you work with someone for another while. Therapist one might say you have major depression and then generalized anxiety. Therapist two might say you have like social anxiety or they might just say that you have major depression with anxious distress and not generalized anxiety. There are a lot of overlaps in certain things. Sometimes it's really important to be very, very clear. And sometimes it's a bit of a judgment call because when we're not doing meds, we're just doing therapy. We are treating the symptoms, not the diagnosis. Yeah. So it, it can change over time. So those are kind of like the psychosis ones that she was given. Now, Lauren will talk a little bit more about psychosis, but I'm just briefly, I'm not going to read you the criteria for generalized anxiety disorder. In essence, you're generally anxious, okay? I think everybody is clear that Cindy Powell had some level of anxiety during all yeah. of this, but I do want to talk about borderline personality disorder because that was another one that mm -hmm. she was diagnosed with, which borderline personality disorder is a highly contentious diagnosis that I think gets at people with BPD, as it's called, get a very bad rap that most of the time it's not earned, right? Again, right. are some people with borderline personality disorder like very unpleasant people? Sure, because again, people in literally every category of people, there's just yes. always going to be some people that are less pleasant than others, right? Like any exactly. group of people in the world, you're going to find a few that you're like, oh, I just don't get along with that person, whatever, right? right? That's just how the world works. BPD has very much gotten a bad rap. There's a lot of and misunderstanding with it. There's a ton of misunderstanding. I think there's also, you know, at times, this is my personal opinion, there are definitely some times where people are hospitalized and are diagnosed with borderline personality disorder when perhaps like complex PTSD might be like a that better explanation for yeah. some symptoms. We're not going to get into that. That's That's a whole thing. But I do think, though, that reading through these criteria can hopefully give you some information on how certain things that could look psychotic could actually be better explained by a personality disorder and less an active psychosis. So we're not trying to contribute by and again, most people with borderline personality disorder are never going to murder anyone. Ever, ever. Ever, ever. The yeah. vast majority of them. So some of the key features in the DSM of borderline personality disorder are chronic feelings of emptiness. So I think people with BPD, again, there's a lot of comorbidity with depression, anxiety, just generally feeling empty, like feeling meaningless in life and things like that. Emotional instability in reaction to day-to-day -day events. So they tend to have really, really intense emotional responses to lots of different things. Even things where it might not make sense to a lot of people why it is bothering them so much. Really would be like, could be intense sadness, irritability, or anxiety. Usually lasting a few hours, sometimes a few days. But just really intense reactions to most things frantic efforts to avoid real or imagined abandonment. Right. So I think this key piece, if we're just talking, and again, we're not actually trying to comment on what diagnosis we think no, Sidney Powell has. I don't know. Have an assessor. I don't know. We're just talking theoretically. Never met her. <laughs> yeah. Never met her, right? But I think if you're looking at the lengths that she went to to hide 
the fact that she had been kicked out of school, it is theoretically possible that somebody who was having an intense emotional response and believed that their parents might be disappointed and emotionally abandon them in a result could theoretically go through really intense lengths to hide the fact that this happened, right? Or with, um, like, this- the friendship group, too. Like, mm-hmm. you know, saying, like, oh, I'm still in school for fear of, okay, if I'm not in school, are these people going to still want to be friends with me? Right, and also, I mean, it's pretty common. Like, a lot of friendships do kind of decrease or go away after you're in the shared experience with that person. That can happen. That's a fear. But again, it's real or imagined. So it's also just the fear of abandonment from family, from that. I mean, you'll also hear stories of, again, maybe not like to the level that BPD would be diagnosed, but of people who lose their jobs and are so afraid of their spouse's reaction that they pretend they're going to work for a period of time. So their spouse doesn't know that they lost their job, right? That's something that that's a kind of frantic effort to avoid abandonment completely, right? There's... uh, Identity disturbance with markedly or persistently unstable self-image or sense of self. So I think how this tends to present in BPD, and this has been my experience when I worked in residential treatment, we worked with a lot of people who had BPD, is because they can have such an unstable view of themselves or have like such tenuous self-image, they can really project their self-worth on other people and their image is highly dependent on their relationships with other people which is a very difficult way to manage your self-image because like other people change all the time relationships end, and so this can present as somebody who really like they need their partner to be happy for them to be happy and again you can kind of see like things like that if that's the dynamic then frantic efforts to avoid it really intense reactions to everything it can be very difficult in relationships because their sense of self is really dependent on other people at times impulsive behavior in at least two areas that are potentially self-damaging So it could be things like overspending, reckless driving, binge eating, substance abuse. They do say like sexual behavior can be a component. They don't necessarily list a lot of aggressive behavior as impulsive, but the next one is inappropriate intense anger and difficulty controlling anger. So obviously frequent displays of temper, anger, recurrent physical fights. The combination of inappropriate anger and impulsive behavior can, in very specific circumstances, lead to violence. We have a pattern of unstable and intense interpersonal relationships, characterized by extremes between idealization and devaluation, known as splitting. So it's like the best person ever, and then they do one thing, and now they're the worst person ever, and it switches really fast. And then we have recurrent suicidal behavior, gestures, threats, or self-harming behavior. And transient stress-related paranoid ideation or dissociative symptoms. So it's not uncommon for there to be some paranoia. Now, you only need to have five or more of the nine criteria in order to be diagnosed. But I think, you know, I just wanted to go into that because, again, there is some subjectivity in it. And, like, you can see how, theoretically... All of those symptoms could line up and create the right environment for someone to, in an angry outburst, due to paranoia, due to fear of abandonment, due to all of these other things, end up committing a murder within the context of that and how some of that, especially the paranoia piece, can present as if it is psychosis, even when it's not. So I think that just, you know, theoretically, it's very, it's it's interesting. Absolutely. I think it was interesting, Tay, to argue that. Um, and like I said, you know, we're not going to comment on what we feel like she does have. But the jury did find her guilty. So the yeah. insanity plea did not work in this case. She was found guilty. Mm-hmm. All right. So the part that I am going to jump into is related to psychotic episodes and what those mm-hmm. most commonly look like. I think what's important to note here is that when we think of the word psychosis, that is a symptom that is not an illness. So this is a symptom 
that can be related to a bunch of different disorders, as Megan mentioned. So when it comes to psychosis, this is categorized as disruptions to a person's thoughts, perceptions that make it difficult for them to recognize what is real and what isn't. These disruptions are often experienced as seeing, hearing, and believing things that aren't real or having strange, persistent thoughts, behaviors, and emotions. While mm-hmm. everyone's experience is different, most people say psychosis is frightening and confusing at the very least. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the info I got for this is through NAMI. If you haven't checked them out, definitely do. They have a lot of really good info. So when it comes to psychosis, usually there's an early or first episode of psychosis. So I just wanted to talk about that really briefly. And it just refers to when a person is first showing signs of beginning to lose contact with reality. This could look very gradual. So usually it's not all at once. Usually it's Mm -hmm. kind of like this slow burn, right? So it may look like typical teen or young adult behavior, honestly. But you could look at things like worrisome drop in grades or job performance, which I'm sure was like a hallmark feature they were looking at for this case. Trouble thinking clearly or concentrating, suspiciousness or uneasiness with others, a decline in self-care or personal hygiene. Usually this is the one parents notice the most. Yep. Spending a lot more time alone than usual strong inappropriate emotions or having no feelings at all and some symptoms of a first episode might look like hearing seeing tasting or believing things that others don't persistent unusual thoughts that can't be set aside regardless of what others believe so even if you're offering them support or comfort like they're very persistent about this thought pattern Strong and inappropriate emotions or no emotions at all, as I had mentioned. Withdrawing from family and friends or just like not really seeing them interact with people anymore. A sudden decline in self-care and trouble thinking or concentrating. So usually this is the first kind of red flag or sign, you know, typically to parents where it's like, okay, something's going on here. And I think that also demonstrates too, like some of the trickiness because a lot of that looks like major depression right like a lot of it oh like you're isolating you're not taking care of yourself because again like how can you know concretely if somebody else is seeing hearing tasting or believing things or having unusual thoughts unless they tell you and i think and also some people don't know that they're hallucinating some people are very aware that they're delusional and hallucinating some people are not at all aware it kind of depends absolutely absolutely and and as i mentioned before like some of this stuff is like typical teenage behavior where, you know, mm-hmm. it's that maybe they're changing friend groups or, you know, maybe they're lacking in the hygiene department because they haven't figured out a routine that works for them. Like mm-hmm. some of this is super normal. So it's important to ask a lot of questions and to follow up with somebody yes. to see what's going on. Absolutely. So when it comes to active psychosis, so this is the one that really grabs people's attention. There's one of two major things that usually happens, which is Mm -hmm. the hallucinations, like Megan talked about, or delusions. So some common delusions might be external forces or controlling thoughts, feelings, and behaviors, believing that trivial remarks, events, or objects have personal meaning or significance, that you have special powers or a special mission, or that you are God, right? And that that is that difference of, you know, I think I have communication with God and my religion and actually being God yourself. Like there is a huge distinction between those two things. Mm -hmm. There is. So then the next thing I just wanted to go into is what they're talking about nowadays when it comes to psychosis and how we can really start destigmatizing some of these things because the reality of it is psychosis can be really jarring for people you don't Mm -hmm. continuously stay in psychosis sometimes you just have one episode and that's it and so they're really trying to reshape the way that we think about it so it's less stigmatizing and people are comfortable getting help so Mm -hmm. i just wanted to bring to light this psychiatrist his name is jim van o's and he's a dutch academic and psychiatrist he's a professor of psychiatry and medical manager of the brain center at Utrecht University Medical Center in the Netherlands. So his 
strong belief, and he's done TED Talks about this, is that we should get rid of schizophrenia as a label. And he's often misquoted saying that like, oh, schizophrenia isn't real. And like, that's like Mm -hmm. not what he's saying at all. What he's saying is that we should use different ways of explaining these types of disorders. So something like psychosis spectrum disorder, and maybe on one end of the spectrum, that is schizophrenia. But there are tons of reasons people experience psychosis. And if you are afraid that psychosis means schizophrenia, you may not be likely to get help for it or to yeah. you know, conceal symptoms. Well, and, and you know, I think it's also important to note, like, the exact diagnoses and labels are changed, right? We All change, we get more research, like, we get better at diagnosing certain things, or sometimes a label just becomes way too stigmatizing, for the name of it and so because it has been societally stigmatizing then it is removed from the diagnoses entirely right so this this isn't a radical idea at all i think it's just sometimes he gets misquoted of course (laughs) um as you do but he is a main contributor to a website called psychosis.net what's really cool about this website is they go over you know, just really non-pathologizing five stages of psychosis and recovery. And he Mm -hmm. contributes to it and adds, you know, scientific fact and all that good stuff. And a lot of people Mm -hmm. who have lived experience also participate in this website, educate people about experiencing psychosis. So it is really cool. So they have five stages here with examples, which is so cool. So stage one is early stage. So this is saying in the early stage, you can experience problems you can't immediately put your finger on. So as we talked about Mm -hmm. before, you know, you've become quiet, closed off, you're withdrawing. You might have illogical thoughts or saying illogical things. You might be irritated more quickly. You know, just all of these things that are minor, you know, in nature, you can't really put your finger on them. But the part that they say here is... Please note that these signs are not specific or predictive. Most adolescents have periods with many of these signs. So they recommend, you know, know yourself. When these signs that you might be going off track appear, this can be prevented if you and the people around you respond in the right way. So knowing yourself enough to know, okay, normally I don't react that way to like these types of situations. Like something's off here. Right, right. And then you can adjust the course, of course. Mm-hmm. And then they gave an example. I just wanted to show these examples. I just think they're good. So a young woman has just moved out of her parents' home to live in the big city. At first, she went out a lot. But lately, she's feeling anxious and just stays alone in her room after work. She's also not sleeping as well as before and sometimes has strange thoughts. She thinks her flatmates do not like her and are trying to bribe the landlord to kick her out. Okay. At some level, she mm-hmm. still understands this is most likely not true but the strange idea just won't go away one night she hears a voice like it came from another room the next day she decides to make an appointment with her general practitioner to talk about at least her sleep issues like Mm -hmm. what a beautiful example of like what right could look like where it's like if she's not telling anybody about these thoughts that she's having it could look like oh like she just didn't want to come out tonight or she hasn't been wanting to come out Right. And if you believe that your roommates like dislike you and are trying to get you kicked out, you're not going to bring that up to them in most situations and be like, hey, I'm pretty sure you're bribing our landlord to get rid of me. Is that true? Like, that's something that is really hard. And again, it's theoretically possible that your roommates do hate you and would absolutely like bribing the landlord to get rid of you. People try to get rid of their roommates. Yeah, it's it's possible. And if you have roommates and you thought you were sound in the other room, like... Again, like, it could all be explained away, right? Yeah. So then the second stage, and this is the one a lot of people get help in, is being overwhelmed by a psychosis. So the early symptoms can become so intense that they develop into a full-blown psychotic episode. This stage mm-hmm. often begins with confrontation or conflict. So, for instance, someone is in a manic stage and tries to convince the mayor to let him run the city, or a boy is removing all electronic devices from his house because he thinks they're controlling his thoughts. Mm -hmm. So, during this stage, you are overwhelmed by the symptoms of psychosis and confused about what is real and what isn't real. 
You're completely absorbed in your own inner world. This has disrupted contact with other people. So usually you cannot function anymore and need immediate care, although you don't realize this. During this stage, you're unable to distance yourself from the experiences. You're starting to see them as part of who you are, and it's nearly impossible to control thoughts, behaviors, things like that. You know, people around you often won't understand, and it's likely that a crisis situation will happen. So your behavior is getting somewhat out of hand, and you have become overwhelmed by multiple symptoms. So you can no longer explain to others where your thoughts and feelings are coming from. So a lot of times, you know, this is where people will intervene because you've done something, let's say like in public, or you've shared something on your social media, somebody's noticing that like, Mm-hmm. They seem disconnected from reality or really confused right. and they're not letting people in to try to like help them or mm-hmm. assist. And then usually at this time, as I said before, people will intervene. So an example that he gave here is a student's having suspicious thoughts from time to time during a busy exam period. And after a restless night of studying, suddenly he finds himself in an openly accusatory mood in the assembly hall. He accuses the teacher of reading his mind. His behavior leads to an argument between him and a group of fellow students. Things get out of hand and finally somebody calls the police. The police soon ask the assistance of the healthcare workers at the university. So that's another really great example to be like, okay, like this has come to a head. Now other people are involved in seeing, you know, what's going on internally. Right. And I think a lot of times, too, you may not actually, no one might know that you're experiencing psychosis until it hits that point. Point. Because again, so much is internal and so much is like with psychosis in general, it can be explained by other illnesses until the point that it can't. Like all the stuff leading up to it can seem like other things. And a lot of times it's not until it gets to a certain point where it becomes really obvious to everyone that that's actually what's going on. Exactly. So then the next stage that they suggest is struggling with psychosis. So what they're saying is once your episode is over, you're confronted with the consequences of what happened. So it fades away, but the world around you, you know, is is recognizing a lot of this stuff. So... There are a lot of negatives from society, as we talked about. And a lot of times people in this phase, you know, they're on the right medication, you know, maybe they're in talk therapy and they're processing some of this stuff. But there is this period of time where you feel very vulnerable. Like, is this going to happen again? Are people Mm -hmm. not going to trust me? You know, those sorts of things. So the example that they give for this is Peter had a psychotic episode. Everyone was shocked and he himself had never imagined that this could happen. Laying in bed in the psych ward, his mind is racing. He suddenly remembers he has caused a lot of trouble. All kinds of questions are going through his head. Where do I go from here? And what am I going to tell my new employer? Like totally, totally can understand how that would be really vulnerable. Yeah. Stage four is living with psychosis vulnerability. So in this stage, they talk about motivational problems people might have after psychosis and just creating a really strong care team to help Mm -hmm. support you and mourn in some ways, you know, like this is my new normal. This is something I need extra helpers to help me be on the lookout for to make sure that these symptoms don't come up again. And then um, the last stage is just stage five. So life beyond psychosis. So, you know, knowing that you've had a psychotic episode, but knowing that you have the right systems of people in place Mm -hmm. to help you if it happens again. But a lot of people, I don't know the exact percentage, but I know there are a lot of people with various different disorders where maybe they have one psychotic episode and never do again. Like a very Mm -hmm. common one that I've worked with and heard of is like postpartum psychosis. And so, you know, having that brief period of psychosis, but never having it again once they have Mm -hmm. the right support in place. Yep. Yeah. And that's so interesting. And I like those examples a lot. I think they're really helpful to look at. And I hope kind of looking at that information and you know 
about psychosis and about the diagnoses can kind of help you guys look through some of the information you're seeing critically and realizing like why it's so hard to look backwards at somebody's life and behavior and determine what the medical cause of it was because there are so many different plausible explanations and again like most of the time with psychotic episodes you don't necessarily know until something happens so it's really hard to tell like at what point if you're looking at legal responsibility at what exact second was it you know significant enough that the person wouldn't be criminally responsible for behaviors that they engaged in or is it psychosis is it something else like it's so hard to look backwards and tell what's happening with someone that if you don't have medical documentation previous diagnoses all of these other things it's pretty much impossible to prove without a reasonable doubt what was happening in somebody's mental health at any point in the past just like i mean you can, those of you who have, like, mental illness, you may have personally pieced up things together, but, like, it's kind of hard to, like, look at a decision you made in high school and just be like, was I depressed? Was I anxious? Did that contribute to it? What was my exact mental state? Like, I don't think any of us can go back to certain times in our life and really say with 100% certainty what our mental state was at that point in time. Exactly. Exactly. And I, I think it's also that thing of, like, if you have kind of like this loose like constellation of symptoms you don't think to like report anything so like to give like another viewpoint of it like i think anybody who has any sort of autoimmune like chronic uh -huh. illness like it's very easy to explain away a lot of those symptoms and just be like you know I am tired, but I was walking a lot mm -hmm. or, you know what I mean? And then you don't like piece it together or report anything until it's like come to a head where it's like, okay, this is really impacting my life. Yeah, this is just reminding me of looking back on it, how obvious my chronic illness was in college, but I hadn't been diagnosed yet. And I had no idea. I know like we were friends in college mm -hmm. and I've like, said this lately and you know lauren is an absolutely lovely supportive person that would just be like yeah we can still hang out as you just like lay in your bed because you just vaguely don't feel good but have no idea what's wrong like sure you're just tired like the kind of stuff like that was happening all the time and i had like i didn't piece it together for years after that and now it's like looking back it's just like oh i was very very sick but i honestly didn't no, when things are right. vague, you don't know. And you also don't know like what your diagnosis is. You don't know how it's going to happen. You don't, there's just so much that you don't know when things are just vaguely wrong and when they happen gradually. Exactly. And, and in that period too, I like reflect on that, like being like, God, I was very undiagnosed ADHD. I was all over the place <laughs> yeah, all yeah, the time. Yes. So it was like, oh, like you're not feeling good. Okay. Well, I'll come and talk for the both both of us and like you know, like entertain you in your room. Like it was just You'd be like it's just in so my funny dorm to think back of it. Frantically doing like both parts of the conversation, bringing me snacks. It was great. I had a great time. Like I love go to like Walmart was... at like midnight, like, hey, let's do this. Super, super fun. Right? But again, it's just like it's interesting. But it's also hard to pinpoint with certain things happening like, oh, were these happening because of the ADHD or because of my chronic illness? Or was there other stuff going on at the time that was contributing? Like what was making totally. it worse at that point? Like we can't actually pinpoint exactly looking back on it. So it's just very interesting. That's a good connection. Connection. <laughs> Yeah. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much for tuning in. Once again, yeah. a heartfelt thank you to our incredible listeners and patrons. If you haven't already considered becoming a patron to unlock some fantastic perks, and we're going to add more. But for now, there's the video recordings. You have the power to vote and provide input for upcoming sessions and exclusive behind the scenes photos. Mm -hmm. If you are enjoying the podcast, we do want to hear from you. Your feedback is really yeah. important to us. So take a moment to leave us a review. We genuinely value your thoughts and opinions. And connect with us on social media. So on Instagram, we are under Spooky Psych Podcast. You can look at our TikToks under Dark Wave Lab. We love hearing from you guys. Don't hesitate to reach out and join the conversation. And yes. thanks for getting spooky. Thank you. Do you have any good shit going on in the world before we end for today? Ooh, good call.
that thing we do every time that we forget we do every time until we're yeah. recording. So I officially have tickets to see Steve Winwood in concert. Oh, excellent. Very excited. That's very nice. When when are you going? Is this soon? Is this distant no, in the future? This is distant in the future. Like sometime I think this summer and it's at Tinley, so it's like outdoor. Nice. But seeing him in concert he's one of my favorites i'm very excited that is very exciting yes how about you yeah so my good shit is stardew valley Mm. i am obsessed with stardew valley it has been my thing i had it on pc and i used to play it Mm. but with my son i was having such a hard time like actually being able to get my computer out and play and there's a mobile version and it holds up i don't feel like it always translates but it it holds up very well on the phone version so i've been able to like if sessions end early and i'm at work like play a little bit or like one-handed holding my son while he's asleep sometimes living that contact life on occasion uh can still play so i am so deep into stardew valley i love it I am obsessed. I'm having a great time. I named my farm Self Care Farm, Ooh. and we're we're Self Care Farm is thriving. I have cows. I have chickens. This is the ducks. I have a goat. It's very I exciting. Love this. Very exciting things. I wish it was real. I would visit it. <laughs> I know we'd have so much fun. I except know. realistically, I am hella chronically ill, and the farm life is not for me. Not for Whatsoever. me either. No, yeah, but like for a day, it'd be fun to visit a farm. Maybe we should visit visit a farm. Yeah, we'll just go visit a farm. Let's do that. We should visit one where they have Highland cows, where they're really Mm. fuzzy. Yes, or like take our children to go like apple picking or something. Oh, stop it! We're berry picking. We should do that. I'll wear overalls. Okay. Well, okay, we're, we'll, we'll discuss this more. <laughs> we'll, we'll discuss later. We, I don't think our fans need to be here for this discussion, but all right, guys. Well, thank you so much for getting spooky. Bye. Bye.